0: Technology is moving so fast and the benefit of these things is so potentially great that I think patients are going to find themselves on the forefront of some of these things in a very positive way.
1: Welcome to the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg and our guest today is James Rocco. James is a head and neck cancer specialist and the chair of the James Head and Neck Surgery Department, one of the largest cancer head and neck surgery departments in the entire country. Today, James will fill us in on a new study that he co-led and collaborated with others on that utilizes big data to analyze the early progression of head and neck cancer tumors, and he'll fill us in on how this will lead to better outcomes for patients, which is always the goal. Welcome to the podcast, James.
0: Thanks for having me, Steve. Great to be here.
1: Yeah, thanks for filling us in on what sounds like a really interesting new program and new test, but I think first it might be important to understand why is it important for you to understand in your patients the early progression of their cancer tumor what what's driving it maybe what mutations and and why do you need to know that
0: um, that's a great question it, it's also an old question um, you know uh, many many years ago when I was a resident during my training, uh, there were some attempts to kind of order the events in cancer. And if you might imagine, you know, as a cell, a normal cell starts out and in the end it ends up a cancer, sometimes uh, ending someone's life. So understanding what those events are that happen along the way is actually really important. You know, one, um, if we understand the earliest events, sometimes that can tell us a little bit about what's causing this cancer. Um, For example, if we saw mutations that look like they're mutations that come from tobacco smoke, and if those are the earliest events, that kind of reinforces this this idea that smoking is a cause of cancer, right?
1: You can tell from a mutation that it was caused by smoking?
0: Yes, so certain kinds of carcinogens leave certain kinds of mutations and they're called kind of mutation spectrum. So there's a tobacco signature, there's a, a virus signature, um, lots of different, a, there's an aging signature of DNA mutations. So sometimes that can provide ideas of the etiology of a cancer. So that's one reason why it's nice to know the, the order. It reinforces some of the things we fundamentally believe. Like for example, we know uh, very well that uh, smoking and alcohol abuse cause head and neck cancer. But when you then see signatures in the earliest genes that are changed, that are consistent with a smoking signature, that reinforces that idea. I think the the other thing as we march from a a normal cell to a cancer, you know, we get an idea of uh, different places where we might be able to one, use screening technologies maybe to find these cancers earlier in the future because we know what events are involved and happen in a lot of high percentage of the cancers. Um, So that's a very important thing. So maybe uh, when we find cancers earlier, as everyone kind of knows, they're often more curable. Two, it may provide us with um, the ideas of, can they be targeted? Can we target these early events? Um, One thing that's challenging for people to understand is that in most cancers, when they're detected, uh, there's a lot of variation in the cancer cells. There's a lot of heterogeneity, even genetic heterogeneity, meaning that not all the cancer cells in there are the same so when we use precision medicine for example a lot of times we're targeting these late events so we may kill 80 90 percent of a tumor but there's a percentage of the tumor that went down a different path and that can escape so if we understand the orders of events it's possible that precision medicine techniques can be directed toward early events that are shared in every cancer cell as an example when we looked at the genetic events in the 90s we can only see maybe six or seven major events. When we look now, we maybe see, you know, 60 or 70 events with all the different opportunities. So our understanding of how this cancer started and where it ended up, different steps where it might have evaded the immune system or where it learned how to grow in an area where there wasn't enough oxygen or how it learned to get into the bloodstream and spread and grow somewhere else. There's just a, a wealth of information that can be mined from these High resolution techniques that we've done.
1: So, if you understand and can see more and more things, that gives you more and more options
0: in how to treat that. Correct. Um, the other thing I would say uh, about understanding these early things is you know, we, we know, for example, that um, head and neck cancer is often caused by smoking and drinking. But there are many types of cancers that we don't understand what causes them. Like, why do you get pancreatic cancer? Why do we get breast cancer, right? Um, We do know how we get skin cancer, right? Usually sun exposure, right? And by the way, when you look at those mutations, they'll have a UV UV signature. Remember before I talked about a tobacco tobacco signature? They'll have a UV signature. So when we look at this type of technology, it could be used on these other types of cancers as well. And if we order those, and it hasn't been done yet, and it needs to be done, but if we order those events, we could start to say maybe there would be some clue as to where this is really coming from. Why is there this epidemic of breast cancer? What are those early changes? What, maybe there's a, a clue in there. So, so I think the, this type of technique that's been worked out, people are now starting to use it to look at these other types of cancer. So that's, what, that's another profound impact. So for example, I, sh- I talked in this paper not only about tobacco-related head and neck cancer, but we also talked about a head and neck cancer that's really taking off which is HPV related head neck cancer, one of the fastest growing cancers. That doesn't have a pathological precursor. When we find those cancers, they're already fully formed. So we wouldn't be able to do the old style genetic progression analysis. But because our mathematical technique worked so well on the tobacco related, we knew it would work when we applied it to the HPV. HPV. And we found out a whole bunch of interesting things that there was no other way to know. Wow, so before, we're, we're gonna take a quick break
1: before we get into this new program, but it, it, you gave us a perfect lead up to why this is gonna be so important, and I'm very curious to see how you actually do it, so we'll be right back. Okay. In today's world, misinformation abounds, but at the Ohio State Health and Discovery website, We're addressing today's most relevant health, wellness, science, and research topics, all from the Ohio state experts you can trust. We're tapping into physicians, scientists, and thought leaders across our medical center and health sciences colleges to give you the deeper story behind the headlines and the truth about the topics affecting the health of individuals, society, and the world. Visit health.osu.edu today. We're back with James Rocco, and let's get into it. So fill us in on what I'm going to call this new set of tools that you've developed in, in collaboration with others to chart the progression of head and neck
0: cancer. So this set of tools, which is called Phylogic NDT, Is really a a complex series of bioinformatics based on sequencing. Um, Prior studies sequencing of the uh, sequencing of DNA, DNA, DNA in tumors. Okay, and you know it's it's not a simple just sequencing. There's a lot of bioinformatic processing that goes. It's a complicated thing to understand how this works. But but one way to kind of think about it is that there are a lot of chromosomal changes that happen as a tumor progresses. And if you can imagine, um, if uh, let's say a mutation, we normally have a, uh, a copy, each gene in our body has a copy of DNA, one from mom, one from dad, and let's say, um, you know, so there's two copies right. of the gene, and let's say there's a mutation on one of the copies. Um, if later on that uh, you had duplication of that DNA after the mutation, every single event that happened afterwards would have two copies of that mutation. So you could say, oh, the mutation happened first, and that particular duplication happened second, versus if the duplication happened first and then you had the mutation, it would look different. And if you can imagine going through every genome duplication, you know, using high-power bioinformatics and, you know, computing power in every mutation to order all these events, that allows you to create these kind of probabilistic distributions of where these events would fall. And, you know, depending on how often it occurs, um, that can give you, like, very high probability or, or lower probability. So high-frequency events, especially these early events, can really be precisely located. And so that's what this phylogic NDT does. So we were able to order these events. And particularly… But by, the,
1: when you say order, is that chronological, chronological order of how the progression of the mutation of the cancer? Correct. Okay. So this event this was first, happened first then, this was okay. second.
0: Um, and especially those early events, because they're high frequency, they're really, really very precise. High
1: frequency meaning?
0: They occur in a high percentage of tumors. Okay. When we look at the tobacco and alcohol-related one, these mutations are happening sometimes as 65 years before the cancer happens. So when people smoke in their 20s and, and 30s and create these mutations they're at risk for a very, very long time. Um, six, six, like some of can, them were six, as long as 65 six, years beforehand, yes.
1: It, in, is this people who, if you stop at 20, you can still get it at 80? It's, it's, it's probability. D- what it, you
0: don't uh, know in that is how many people have that mutation who didn't form cancer. Okay, their because immune, we,
1: their immune systems work Or better. whatever,
0: they stopped along the way. So yeah. we, don't, we don't know the true, right, You know numerator denominator numbers we can only say that there are people in the set who had cancer where some of those mutations were 65 years ago which is pretty amazing now there's an average you know and there's a median and a mean that you can look at uh, but that ended up being kind of important Um, you know the other thing i just want to talk about was you know a number of years ago we created something called math analysis. It was called mutant allele tumor heterogeneity. It was also based on whole exome sequencing. And it was a mathematical process based off whole exome sequencing to kind of give us an estimate of the mutational complexity of a tumor with the idea that if the tumor was mutationally very complex and had a lot of heterogeneity, it would be likely to be resistant to therapy and in fact we pr- have proven this in a large number of data sets and now there's hundreds of papers where people have used our technique to show similar results in other types of cancers but you know we never really understood it was it was a very good biomarker and there are many times there are biomarkers that can guide us how to do things yet we always don't know why it's, it says something's good or something's bad and what we've learned from this phylogic NDT analysis was what was actually causing the high or low math scores and what we realized was that genome duplication was at the root of generating these very high math scores and that genome duplication is probably at its origin is why some cancers are so so resistant
1: so so with the math program that you developed here first Mm -hmm. you 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 were able to prove that that more complex cancer you were able to Chart that how complex the cancer was, how many mutations, and that could, and that helped you determine that more the more complex it was, the harder it might be to treat. But you didn't chart the progression, so that's the next step that you did. And you've mentioned MIT. This is your collaborator yeah, so, on this.
0: So um, the MIT and the Broad and the Broad the math, is their the cancer, Broad cancer institute. Center? Now the Broad is a um, a philanthropic uh, oh, kind of okay. think tank that's affiliated with Harvard. Um, so my collaborators there, it, it's kind of a group of people that you often have co-appointments like at the Mass General, the Broad and MIT. But you know, many of the people there are not doctors. They are like mathematicians or physicists okay. um, and you know, really highly skilled. But that's what makes a collaboration like this so productive, right? To, 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 to take some of those... Multiple experts. Multiple experts that can do it. And, and I'll add that what was so, again getting back to the phylogic NDT, what we did and the math analysis, we we were, we we could actually look at tumors that had high math or low math, and kind of map out when when these events happened. And so there's an opportunity here, you know, like for example, um, if we look at HPV, if we look at tobacco and smoking related uh, head and neck cancer you know, probably about 50% of those tumors have a high math, they have that complexity. But about 50% don't. And that math score can supersede um, guiding us how people are going to do with their therapy. So so now that we know that genome duplication and inappropriate genome duplication creates that state, and we kind of understand intuitively why that may make you resistant to therapy, because. The best way to describe it is when you start to get multiple copies of different chromosomes, the cell can really start to fail and break them apart in lots of different ways that really enhance its survival. It can give itself three copies of this that maybe pumps out a chemotherapy, or it can maybe make four copies of this that suppresses an immune marker, right? And it's under this selective pressure in your body, and it just uses this as almost like a a feeding frenzy of probabilistic tendencies to avoid so it's attacking the body
1: on multiple fronts it is and suppressing the
0: immune system in multiple ways the immune system but also um, you know its replicative capacity its ability to tolerate radiation and chemotherapy so it makes it a very very kind of challenging problem but now that we have this analysis there is an opportunity and it's a very challenging opportunity but in which we can kind of go back in and dig in with an even deeper set and say, what are the genetic events that allow genome duplication to happen? Some tumors can do it and some can't. So, there, so is it all tumors would eventually get there? That would be the, the, le- the most pessimistic interpretation, that, that if enough time was given, all tumors could end up there. Or did, were there discrete genetic events that happened that allowed that, to occur. So for example, the early events which happen in every tumor, they're not they wouldn't be associated with genome duplication. So it we happened, might find an opportunity later. to understand how that duplication occurs. And if that's possible, maybe that's something that could be targeted. So we could prevent tumors from being you know more resistant to therapy or maybe make them more sensitive to therapy. It's a it's kind of a very interesting thing. Um, and there are models that people study to look at genome duplication. And so we're very, very interested in that. It's a very challenging problem. It's gonna require a collection of tumors over many, many years. Um, it's a very expensive problem, lots of sequencing and bioinformatics. But this genome duplication, this high mass score, it's at the root of why people fail their therapy. So it's a very important problem to try to figure out.
1: So where are you in the process with, and if I'm not, pronouncing it right phylogic NDT where are where are you in in
0: designing it and actually
1: using it to to analyze patients tumors
0: well we've already done it the one time so now what we're trying to do is create data sets that we can analyze that can really help us understand this it it some of these things are kind of challenging but if we think back um, once we figured out in the HP in the head and neck related, uh, cancers that were formed by tobacco and alcohol, uh, that this worked. We were able to apply this same approach to cancers that didn't have these precursors, more of a uh, discovery mode. So we used HPV as an example. And HPV related head and neck cancer is very much uh, uh, fastest growing cancer, one of the fastest growing incident rates of cancer in the United States. Um, you know, vaccination can help people from getting it. Uh, But we are now trying to uh, take the data we learned from phylogenetic NDT of HPV and kind of understand why those tumors do so well. So one of the things that we see is the math scores are low, and the genome duplication doesn't happen in the HPV-related. The math
1: scores are low, but yet it's the fastest-moving one.
0: Well, it is, but but most likely... the other interesting thing we found, you remember I talked to you about some of these tumors started 65 years ago? Well, when right. you look at the HPV related, they didn't start nearly as long ago. So they, rather than a history of smoking and drinking causing mutations in those early genes, they actually have viral oncogenes that cause that to happen immediately in a small subset of patients. So the time from when the tumor starts to when it's discovered is probably about 15 years shorter. And during that time, it probably doesn't accumulate or have as much time to go down the genome duplication pathway. So the tumors end up being much more sensitive. So they're less
1: mature tumors with not as- Potentially. Non-
0: these, that's a hypothesis, and it might be true. But we wanna really understand because if we take two, two tumors that have the same stage, so to speak, like they're the same size, same spread to the neck, one's HPV negative, one's HPV positive, the cure rates are radically different. Cure rates could be 90 percent in the HPV positive and only 40 percent in the HPV negative. Because the HPV positive ones are less complex. That's right. And they don't. and, And what we notice is in the ones that do genome duplicate, like some people are HPV positive, unfortunately, also smoked. Oh. And we know that that makes their outcomes much poorer. But when we look, we see correlations with that genome duplication and with those high mass scores. So we think this is fundamentally the origins of why this is happening. So, so, so we're very, very interested. are getting cancer from
1: smoking and from HPV combining. Yes. So
0: one of the things we're very interested in is comparing uh, HPV-related cervical cancer to HPV-related head and neck cancer because HPV-related cervical cancer once it forms, does not do nearly as well in response to radiation chemotherapy as HPV-related head and neck cancer. In fact, HPV-related huh. cervical cancer looks a lot more like the smoking and drinking-related cancer in terms of its curability. So we want to know, can our logic NDT analysis, looking at cervical cancer in women and looking at HPV, can it be explained by this genome duplication, this high math score, because that would be like an independent validation. And then the question is, why did it go down that path in cervical cancer, and why did it go down a different path in HPV related head and neck cancer? And we don't understand that yet, but there's probably very important clues that could help us, you know, really take care of patients, right? Um, you know, we're, you know, it's likely that these molecular markers are going to have a big impact on patient care. And so we're 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 very interested in how this may turn out.
1: So the more you understand the cancer and its progression, the better you you can target the therapy better.
0: I think and so. Um, not you know a lot of times patients walk in, uh, and they have a cancer. We see a, a lump in the neck is a classic thing. Maybe a sore or a mass in the back of the throat. And if that's smoking and drinking related, they're going down one path, right? We're often giving them almost maximum therapy with a lot of side effects. On the other hand, if they're HPV related and they've never smoked, we can often go down a path where we can do less therapy. Sometimes surgery alone or lower dose radiation without chemotherapy uh, get great cure rates, but avoid some of the side of long-term side effects of radiation and chemotherapy in the head and neck, which could be an increased incidence of stroke, fibrosis, inability to swallow, what we call dysphagia. We have a large number of HPV related head and neck cancer patients who from years ago were cured because we were treating them very aggressively. And now we know we can start to back off a little bit. Oh, by okay. using these type of strategies we just talked about, and it takes a little bit of time to, to put them into clinical care, but we may do a much better job of predicting who should get high dose therapy, who should not. If, if you have a tumor that's not gonna respond well, our top priority is to cure you. And we say, let's get a cure, right? But maybe the side effects are a little higher than we want. But in others where we really feel that cure is gonna be very easy, we say, hey, we can get this cure, and we also think we can really lower some of the side effects <clears throat> that you may have. So
1: early on, you mentioned you know, the importance of detecting this early and screening. How can you do this in head and neck cancer? I mean, with breast cancer, there's mammograms. With colon cancer, there's colonoscopies. But how can this be applied so you can get these head and neck cancers early?
0: yeah that's that's a challenge um even among people who smoke and drink a lot um, you know as I always say you know head and neck cancer and and um, you know lung cancer uh, the majority of people who have those cancers are smokers, but the majority of smokers don't get head and neck cancer and lung cancer right it's you got to look at it both ways once you have the cancer, you look back, hey do you smoke like nine out of ten will say yes I do, but if you go and talk to bunch of smokers most of them don't have head and neck cancer or lung cancer they they get heart disease that they do oh, get okay. at a high incident so so screening strategies so far at least molecular screening strategies have not been effective they are coming uh, there are companies that are starting to do this um, looking in the blood for um, mutations in tumor DNA uh, what they call circulating tumor DNA and they're sp- specificity you know hey if they say you have a cancer do you have a cancer and their sensitivity you know is if a cancer's there would they detect it are probably starting to approach real time there there are already discussions happening at major cancer centers on how to try to start to interact with this but there, one interesting technology that is doing very well um, is circling tumor dna in the setting of hpv related head neck cancer and it's just a peculiarity of the HPV. When the virus infects a cell, it often has multiple copies of its DNA in the cell. So the best way to think about it is- Within
1: one cell?
0: It has in one multiple. cell. Okay. So if we imagine we're looking in your blood for like a cell pops open and a little bit of DNA comes out, we draw a little blood out, and is there a little bit of that DNA in there? That's much more likely if there's 100 or 500 copies of that DNA in a cell than if there's only one. The best way i tell patients is you know we're looking for like a little light and do you have a candle you know like just one copy per cell or do you have like a halogen light in there and we can detect that and so we use circulating tumor DNA already in HPV related head-neck cancer very effectively to monitor treatment response and to help us in surveillance where it hasn't gone yet but there's a movement to try to move it in that direction is in surveillance for high risk people Sometimes when we test people, like for example, we've tested women and looking to see if like, we got rid of the cancers coming back and sometimes we'll detect um, a cervical cancer or early cervical precancer with this technology while we're following their head and neck cancer. But,
1: but what makes a person high risk for head and neck cancer?
0: Well, um, so... Smoking, of course, the, and... And so for HPV negative, it's smoking and alcohol use are are the main risk factors, poor poor dentition, uh, poor medical care. What's poor dentition? You know, just uh, some people just really don't take care of their teeth and dental dental care. And that creates a lot of inflammation in the mouth that some people feel can drive these things. But the vast majority of our patients who are not HPV positive, they have a extensive history of smoking and drinking. And by extensive history, um, most people use either like 10 pack years or 20 pack years as like a guideline of what can do that. For, so,
1: so they're trying to do that more with lung cancer screening mm-hmm. for smokers, so now what you're advocating and hoping for is the same thing for head and neck cancer for heavy smokers.
0: Yes, yeah. and we're not there yet with right. the circulating tumor DNAs, but the, we're not far. We're probably only off by about a factor of 10, you know, in terms of the sensitivity and specificity. So I think we will get there. I'll tell an interesting story. One of my colleagues uh, had a patient come uh, about a month and a half ago he signed up for one of these places where you, you send your blood in, and they screen it for all these different things, and he came into the office and he said, I have a HPV-related head and neck cancer, and my, another head and neck surgeon, you know, who works here at the James said, how do you know that? Sure. And he goes, well, I went and got this blood test, and they told me that I had it. So he examined him, no no lymph nodes in the neck, which is the most common way he presents, but you know, we're an amazing head and neck cancer program. and. Got a thorough headneck exam, he got something called a fiber optic laryngoscopy, a little tube through the nose with a camera, and we looked at the back of the throat, and sitting on the back of his tongue was a tiny little one centimeter head neck cancer. Wow. So that's the future. I, yeah. And it's we're seeing it first in HPV because of that signal to noise ratio that comes from the multiple copies. So if you think of the technology that's trying to be able to detect that, right? It's not quite where it needs to be yet for non-HPV. But because HPV has multiple copies of the DNA in a cell, that signal to noise is a little higher. So it's actually very effective. And we probably don't need that much more advances to kind of get down into that noise floor. And that's gonna create an extremely different world. And we face that already today. So for example, we treat patients, sometimes with surgery, sometimes with chemo radiation, we test their circulating tumor DNA before, let's say the level's 100. Right after surgery, the level will go to zero, right? And we're like, okay, let's follow that, right? Maybe you don't need radiation or chemotherapy. So let's say three or four months later, all of a sudden the level bumps to five.
1: So like, oh there's something something's there. there. Yeah.
0: But we will do an exam and often nothing will be there. We can do a PET CT and there's nothing there. The technology, is well beyond our physical exam. It's well beyond an exam in the OR. It's even beyond... It's there, but you can't detect it. We don't know where it is. And so that is a new thing.
1: But that you can then monitor that person.
0: Well, right now, in real time, everyone's hearing this, that's one of the things we're really trying to understand what to do. There's meetings about this on a national level. All the major groups, you know, the NCI, right, the NCCN, are trying to make rules about what to do. Some people would argue... Well, maybe wait, do another test. If it's still going up, then image and try to find it. Others are saying everything we've ever learned was we should try to treat cancer at its earliest stages. So let's give those people chemotherapy, yeah. right? But the question is, how do you figure that out? We, we, the way you figure these things out is clinical trials. So people are starting to design trials now for people who have a positive circulating tumor DNA after therapy with no physical disease to target, so you can't cut it out, you can't irradiate it, so you have to use systemic therapy. Chemotherapy, targeted therapy, or immunotherapy. So that's what people are talking about right now. Those trials are gonna be designed, and probably over the next three to four months, you're gonna see multi-center trials where people are trying to answer what's the best thing to do. But technology is moving so fast, and the benefit of these things is so potentially great, that I think patients are gonna find themselves on the forefront of some of these things in a very positive way. Um, I've seen that, for example, with circulating tumor DNA, where patients, when they get that negative test, you know, getting cancer um, has a psychological toll on people. Even when you say, hey, you have a 90% chance of cure, every time they come and see us for surveillance and everything, they're scared, they're afraid it could come back. Um, It was a very traumatic thing. I think almost like post-traumatic stress And to get that negative blood test and say to the limits of technology, you know, you're still negative. That's a very reassuring thing.
1: Well, thank you for joining us. And maybe you'll come back in a while and and fill us in on on the next step in this program.
0: I'd love to. Thanks for having me. A lot of fun. This podcast is brought to you by the
1: Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital and Richard J. Solov. Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.